everyone. My name is Andrea. And my name is Tanisa. And welcome to episode 26 of Hearing is Believing, a podcast where we discuss different topics and stories that center around our Catholic faith. So like always, we just want to remind everybody that we are not experts, we are not theologians, and we definitely do not speak on behalf of the Catholic Church. We're just two sisters that really enjoy sharing stories about angels and demons and saints and wanted to share them with you. So, Andrea, uh, what is new with you this week? I am house hunting. Woo, that's so exciting! It is exciting. It's also stressful. It's very stressful because right now... It's a seller's market, so there's not a lot of inventory out there, and everything is really expensive, and it's just very, again, very stressful. Yeah, I I can imagine, Andrea. Um, Hopefully, you know, everything's going to work out. Just put it in God's hands, and the right place will pop up for you at the right Mm -hmm. time. So, you know, just keep praying about it. It's going to work out, Um, and I'm sorry that it's so stressful, but it's exciting stressful. It's an exciting stressful Yes. Yeah. Um, I, this is going to be ongoing for a while until more things come out on the market. So it's not like I'm going to be purchasing a house or in a, a townhouse within like the next two weeks. But I've started the process. What else is going on? Oh, next week we are doing a bachelorette party for you, Tamisa. I am really excited for this. Um, so like just to clarify for our listeners, obviously I am already married, um, mm-hmm. but last year everybody was in quarantine everything was shut down um so really we didn't get a chance to really do anything uh before the wedding like uh, in terms of like festivities or bachelorette parties or things like that everything was barely opening back up because of summertime here in in Mm -hmm. chicago so we really could not do anything before the wedding. Everything was going to be after. Even your bridal shower was after your wedding. Yeah. But now we're going to have a girls weekend and it's going to be really fun and all the bridesmaids are coming up. So I'm really excited to me. So this is going to be fun. I am super, super stoked. Thanks so much, Andrea. And for all of my bridesmaids that helped out to plan this, I am, I'm really, really, really excited. <laughs> I'm super stoked. Do you have any other plans to me? So do you have anything else exciting going on? I officially um, had my last day at my job. Oh, yay. Round of applause. Yay. We're happy about this. I am so happy. Um, You know, I had, it was a great job. There was no problem with with the job or the company or anything like that. Um, It's just that I am also starting a a new chapter in my life, which is going to be exciting, stressful. I'm going back to school to get my master's, so... Yeah, I'm super excited, very stressed, lots of big changes, but it's going to be a good time. I'm super proud of you for going back to school to get your master's. You'll be the first one out of the three of us to go back to school. So very proud of you for this. Thanks. It's going to be a fun time. Be very stressful, but exciting stress. I think that's the theme of today's episode is exciting stress in our lives right now. We're starting new chapters. We're, We're becoming adults yeah i feel like every life event i feel like uh i'm just an inch more of an adult or an ounce more of an adult i don't really know just a small measurement of some kind of an adult i feel like with every big milestone i'm closer to like a midlife crisis (laughs) is that what adulthood is is that is are we just all working towards our midlife crisis 
I think we just uncovered something. <laughs> it's okay. But you know what? Sometimes I deem as being five. And I, I say that all the time. And I'm probably going to end up saying this again during the podcast at some point. But yeah, this is... Uh, adulting is hard. Adulting is hard, but I actually love it. I love this dress. I mean, I'm sure you do too. But I think that's something we're both very different on is like you... Like you said, you miss being five. I would... I would give anything to just jump ahead to being 35 right now and having a stable career and stable income and being able to do more things that I would want to. I I look forward to being older rather than wanting to be younger. I'm closer to 35 than you are. And let me tell you, it's it's not much better than what you're at right now. (laughs) But I think, you know, that's just my privilege of being like the younger child because I never Mm -hmm. I never have to feel old because I have you and our brother. So yeah, maybe that's a that's just a me thing. (laughs) That's just a you thing. Yeah. So yeah, uh, fun topic, fun times. (laughs) What are we going to be talking about, Sidmisa? Yeah, so um, I was actually inspired by the story you had a couple weeks ago about the martyrs in Uganda. Um, And it just kind of made me think about, you know, how Catholicism has spread across the world. And I came across, or I guess I already knew some of this story, but I wanted to learn more about Catholicism in Japan. And I learned about the story of the 26 martyrs of Japan. Um, so it's it's a really it's really fascinating, but also I think it's an important story because this it's not an easy story. Like there's definitely you can see both sides of the situation and com- brings up bigger topics like colonialism. Uh, so definitely would love to hear your thoughts on this as we go through it. But yeah, it's gonna be an interesting topic to talk to go over. Uh, what about you, Andrew? What are you gonna talk about? I am going to be talking about witchcraft and magic. Ooh. Yes. It's it's going to be more of a, not, not so much of a story, just more of a topic. Honestly, those are sometimes my favorite. And I think this one's a good one because, I mean, we talked about psychics and um, divination like last month. So mm-hmm. I think it's going to be fun to explore kind of another realm in that sphere. So yeah, it's fun. It's another uh, slice in the pie. Yeah, exactly. Okay, um, so you get to go first, Tamisa. I want to hear mm-hmm. about Japan. I know you yes. want to visit Japan too. I do. I, me and Julio were talking about this recently. Um, I don't know what happened, but he was just thinking. He's like, "What are some goals that you have in your life that you don't think you're moving to, like moving towards right now, or that you want to be moving towards?" And The only thing I could really think about was traveling more. And obviously, we're coming out of a pandemic, so traveling has not been on anybody's plans right now. Um, But I really want to visit Japan. And Mm -hmm. after more research about, you know, Catholicism in Japan, I definitely have an even bigger desire to go. Um, So I'm very, very excited. And I actually got introduced to this story or this history of Catholicism in Japan through some TV shows and books. So I'm very excited to share this with everybody else because I think it might be something not a lot of people are aware of. Ready to hop in? Yes, I'm ready. All right, then. So this story 
to create some more context, it starts with the first Catholic missionary work in Japan. And that starts in August of 1549, when St. Francis Xavier, who, um, as we know, or do you know about St. Francis Xavier, Andrea? He was from Spain, and all right, now I'm blanking, but yes, he's a Spaniard. Yeah, so you're you're on on point. So he is a Jesuit priest from Spain. Um, I actually was going to do um, an episode dedicated to him as well because he does have some really great information and great mm-hmm. history. But he was very important in the spread of Catholicism in. Asia. So I know he had missionary work in India, um, in Macau, Macau, I think is how you pronounce it, um, and in China, and also in Japan. So in August of 1549, St. Francis Xavier, along with other Spanish and Portuguese missionaries, arrive in Kagoshima, Japan, from Portugal to start the mission in Japan. That's a long trek. (laughs) It's a long journey. It's a super, super long journey. And just to give everybody fair warning, one, we're going to have a lot of um, Japanese names. So if I mispronounce anything, you know, please have patience with me. Uh, And two, I'm going to break down some things uh, regarding like Japan's political structure as well as the political climate of that time because it really is so important to understand, you know, how this affected the missionary work and the people living in Japan at the time. Okay. Okay. Ready? Yes. Okay. So August 1549, St. Francis Xavier arrives to Japan. On September 29th of that year, St. Francis visits Shimasu Takahisha. So he is the daimyo, which is essentially like the feudal lord of Kagoshima, where he had landed. Okay. And he meets with him to ask for permission to build the first Catholic mission in Japan. So the feudal lord, the daimyo, figured this would be a great opportunity to build trade relations with, with Europe. So he agrees. Mm-hmm. And not only does he think this is a good idea, the shogunate, which is the military de facto leader of Japan, um, as well as the imperial government... They also thought this would be a great opportunity, so they decided to start supporting the Catholic missions and the missionaries. So just to recap, they find it as a good opportunity for economical reasons. Yeah, so trade is their main concern. Um, The political aspect as well is that they wanted to reduce some of the power of the Buddhist monks in the area. Um, since they were starting to gain a little bit more political power than they wanted to. So it was really um, an economic and a political motive for Japan to support the missionaries. Okay. So the Nanban trade, which is what this Euro-Japanese trade activity is called, uh, was very closely tied with the spread of Christianity. The Portuguese-sponsored Jesuits took the lead and proselytizing in Japan and by the way they were approved by Pope Gregory the 13th in his papal bull and essentially the Pope decides that Japan belongs to the Portuguese diocese of Macau um and this meant yeah he just made that decision did not consult Japan at all um 
He and just with made this, them part of the yeah, the just the diocese, diocese that's in India. Yeah. yeah. Okay. In Asia, so what this means is that the Jesuit mis- missionaries now have the exclusive right to promote Christianity in Japan, and the Portuguese would have the exclusive right to trade with Japan. Okay. So at first, the Catholic mission was really successful. And because the Portuguese traders were under the influence of missionaries, they were more willing to stop at ports that belonged to lords that were converts, which Mm -hmm. uh, that meant the daimyos of the areas would have better access to European firearms. But the situation starts to gradually change as Toyotomi Hideyoshi, um, who was another daimyo or feudal lord, became closer and closer to unifying Japan. And he was really concerned that citizens were following foreign religion. So in 1587, after a meeting with Gaspar Kaolo, who was the superior of the Jesuit mission, Hideyoshi Mm -hmm. became really concerned when Kaolo started boasting that the Jesuits could summon Portuguese warships and rally the Catholic daimyo to support Hideyoshi's upcoming invasion of Korea. So essentially, he's just boasting, like, oh, yeah, like, we have so much influence that we could create, we have all this uh, manpower and war power at our disposal. Oh, bad move. Bad move. Yeah, bad move. Because obviously, this made him very nervous. So two, two weeks later, Uh, Hideyoshi ordered the expulsion of the Jesuit missionaries in Japan. However, um, just to clarify, even though he made this order, it really wasn't super enforced. Even Hideyoshi himself, like, knowingly ignored his own order and allowed some Jesuit missionaries into Japan to work as translators and trade um, intermediaries. So it's just for his own benefit. Yeah, exactly. He's basically stating like that he doesn't want the missionaries to do their work openly or to have too much power or influence, but he'll let some of them in if it's to his benefit. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the missionaries felt safe enough that they could continue their work in Japan. They were just going to do it a lot more discreetly. So. Now we're going to fast forward nine years to July 12th of 1596. There's a Spanish ship called the San Felipe, and it sets sail from Manila heading to Acapulco with a cargo that was supposed to be around like one million pesos. Do we have the inflation conversion? The inflation? No, I don't have the inflation. We'll just assume that it's a lot. I mean, one million vessels, it's just, that's a lot. And uh, to kind of make it worse, um, you're carrying a lot of cargo that's valuable, and the ship had to set sail during Pacific typhoon season. (laughs) Yeah. So as you can imagine, uh, they got hit by two typhoons. Ooh, okay. Absolutely. So the captain is obviously nervous by this and decides that they should sail towards Japan so they have time to, or they have the ability to recover and make repairs. But mm-hmm. on, the, on the approach to the Japanese coast, they got hit by a third typhoon. And they can't catch a break. <laughs> no, they really cannot. So eventually, um, 
So the typhoon actually leaves the ship without any sails. And eventually, by obviously what the crew would believe was a miracle, the San Felipe was carried by the current to Japan. And despite seeing land on the latitude of Kyoto, which um, would have been a, a great place for them to land, there was important, port, uh, important ports there, the ship could not land because of strong winds and was drifted further away. Oh. And eventually, they crashed into rocks. Okay. So assured by the tales that Hideyoshi has some hospitality to friars, the captain felt it would be safe enough to turn down the suggestions from his crew that they should make way to the friendly port of Nagasaki, which at that time is the center of the Euro-Japanese trade, and instead landed on the coast of the Japanese island Shikoku. The local daimyo, or feudal lord, named Motochika, however, was not as friendly as Hideyoshi. He forced the battered ship to move, from, move to his home port, which was uh, much further away, and was escorted by 200 armed boats. Once uh, San Felipe reached the port, again, it was wrecked even more by the sandbar, and the local samurai then started confiscating the remaining 600,000 vessels worth of cargo. Um, and that's, you know, what wasn't lost during the voyage. Obviously, you know, the Spanish crew there are upset. This is their cargo. They start protesting. And so they were advised that they should have one of Hideyoshi's commissioners to come and hear their case. But that wasn't wise. One of his, commission, his commissioners named Nagamori, he arrived and instantly told the Spaniards that he needed a monetary bribe, which he didn't get. So immediately he starts loading San Felipe's um, freight onto Japanese boats. And while this was going on, Nagamori got friendly with the Spaniards and started asking them questions and talking to them. And when they asked, you know, where they came from, how they get to Japan, one of the Spaniards pulled out a map and showed the extent of the Spanish colonial empire and started insinuating that Spain gained its empire by first converting native population to Christianity with missionaries and then sending in conquistadores to join the newly converted in an invasion of conquest. Oh, dummy. Not the best thing to, one, to, to admit, but also, like, this is what I wanted to talk about. Like, realistically, this is how colonialism happened for Spain and Portugal. So it's yeah, not great. But you know, Nagamori, the commissionary, says, uh, stays a little uh, calm, and then he starts asking about the relationship between Spain and Portugal. And was furious when the Spaniard um, admitted that they were, um, that the two empires shared one king which was really bad because for years the Jesuit missionaries had explained that they were two countries and they were different and separate and were not working together. So it just builds all this mistrust and they are very, very upset. So obviously this information is reported to Hideyoshi, who, as you can imagine, is pissed. This was a confirmation of Hideyoshi's suspicion of the missionaries in Japan. 
and he responded really quickly and ordered all the missionaries in Japan to be rounded up. In the end, 26 Catholics, which were six Franciscan friars, 17 Japanese Franciscan uh, tertiaries, and three Japanese Jesuits were paraded from Kyoto to Nagasaki, where they were crucified on a hill on February 5th, 1597. Wow. So they were just made like examples of. Exactly. And even after that persecution, you know, there were more sporadic incidents of martyrdom um, up until 1614. So a long time. And basically during those years, it was about 70 people that um, were martyred. Okay, Um, so mm -hmm. you said it started 1596 and the Mm -hmm. persecutions went until 1614. So for over 18 years, 70 people were killed. Um, So, yeah, so between um, 1597 until 1614, like you said, um, what is that, like 18 years, you said? 17 years. 17 years? Yeah, that's about 70 um, Catholics that were martyred. And then after that, there was another big incident where 55 Catholics were martyred in Nagasaki on September 10th of 1632. And that incident was known as the Great Jena Martyrdom. And at that time, Catholicism was officially outlawed. Mm, Okay. So by 1630, Catholicism in Japan was largely driven underground. When Christian missionaries returned to Japan 250 years later, they found a community of hidden Catholics that had survived in secret. Oh, I love that. Yeah. How do we know how many were there? I don't know. I know I saw reports that they were saying like it was thousands, um, but I couldn't find an exact number. But it was thousands. Because I'm just thinking back for like Uganda, it mm-hmm. was in the hundreds, if I remember correctly. But it wasn't like 200 years later. <laughs> yeah, 250 yeah. years later. Yeah. Um, so yeah, when I found information that said thousands. Um, What I thought was really interesting, too, is that when I was looking up a bit more information on how, you know, these Japanese natives that had converted to Catholicism, how they hid their faith, a lot of them, they would create uh, statues that reflect, that kind of resembled Buddhist images, but they were created an image of, like, the Virgin Mary um, and to, uh, to Jesus, and they would have those to be able to worship to and to have in their homes. And I just thought that was so fascinating how they they persevered in face of extreme extreme uh, persecution and yeah it 250 years I just it just fascinates me and that is the story of Catholicism in Japan. Wow, that was very interesting. I didn't know any of this, so thank you, Tamisa, for sharing that. Yeah, absolutely. And there's what's really cool is that you know there, like I said, um, there are some books and uh, shows that kind of touch on this a bit. I know for me, I first actually heard about this through an anime that I was watching called Samurai Shampoo. Um, Shampoo. Shampoo. Yeah, it, I think it's like <laughs> supposed to be slang for something in in Japanese. Um, I I don't really know, but um, one of the main characters, her father, was part of the uh, underground hidden catholicism or hidden catholics so it it talks about how they were persecuted and it's it's very fascinating so so yeah there you go that was really cool all right thank you tamisa yeah no problem 
Okay, I'm ready to listen about witchcraft. Okay, so um, that's a little bit of a, of a, it's a tricky subject because from my research, witchcraft, I would say, falls under magic and magic has a couple of different branches. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, but first, let's, let's just do a real quick overview. What is magic? Mm-hmm. Definition time. Pull out the dictionary. Mm-hmm. Magic can be um, defined as the power to influence beings, objects, and events by using supernatural forces. Okay. So there's a couple of words that are synonymous with magic, and that would be sorcery, you know, witchcraft, uh, wizardry, enchantments, where it's all basically going to the same thing. It's using supernatural power to do whatever you want. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Okay. Yeah. So so magic can be split off into two different aspects. At least this is how I understood it. It can be the right-hand path, is what it's called, or the left-hand path. Mm-hmm. Right-hand magic, if you can guess it, would be something good, like white magic. White magic is magic that's used for good. So that mm-hmm. would be selfless acts. You're taking care of others. You're healing others. Anything that you do using your powers is for the benefit of others so okay. you don't harm mm-hmm. does that make sense yeah of course you're going to have the counterpart which is the left hand path and that would be more of the black magic you do your you use your magic your powers for nefarious reasons for self-gain to harm mm-hmm. others so you have those two branches white yeah. magic we're not really going to get into white magic because basically everything bad, everything negative is really associated with black magic. But when we have to look at it, we have to see where it stems from. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not saying white magic is good because from the Catholic point of view, we're going to talk about this. But from the Catholic point of view, all magic is bad, whether it's good or bad. Yeah. So witchcraft, as I'd mentioned before, is synonymous with magic, but... If we look at the definition of witchcraft, it is usually usually the execution, the exercise, the use of supernatural powers, typically involving magic, to control mm-hmm. people and events. So, same kind of definition. Okay, yeah, I see the similarities. You kind of see where I'm, I'm getting at, but it's still using magic, still using supernatural power. So, it's slightly different. Mm-hmm. To me, so, do you remember in... Uh, The last episode, not last episode, a month ago, so two episodes Mm -hmm. ago, where I mentioned the Malaeus Maleficarum. So that pamphlet that identifies witchcraft and how to find witches is what starts the witch hunts. Now, this is going to be real quick, little side note. Mm -hmm. Witch hunts did not occur before this. Uh Everyone who sees middle-aged no, Middle Ages, movies, shows, whatever, that talk about witch hunts, those are all fiction. They didn't happen then. Historically, witch hunts did not start until the early modern period, according to historians, which would be the late 14th century to the 18th century. Okay. So that's the era of the Renaissance, the Reformation, and the Scientific Revolution. Dang, I guess I didn't realize, I didn't realize how long witch hunches stretched from. I definitely kind of understood like the 1400s, 1500s, 1600s, um, but 1800s is pretty late. 
No, no, 18th century. 18th century. Sorry. Okay. So that'd be 1700s. Okay. Yeah. So up to the 1700s. Mm-hmm. But at that point, it's really dying down. So before the 14th century, before any print of the Maleus Maleficarum, witchcraft was very similar, you know, throughout any village you went through in Europe. Witches, sorcerers, anyone who could use, influence the supernatural, they were feared and yet they were also respected at the same time because these people could tell you what was going on. They could, you know, invoke good things. They could invoke bad things in the village, in your life. Yeah. So with the witch hunts, from what I was reading, it kind of start. it does start with Catholicism. It does start with the Maleus, Maleus Maleficarum. I got to point out, witch hunts, witches, people who were accused of witchcraft were not just women. They're also men. But it was also basically anyone who had any knowledge of herbs, any knowledge of medicines, no natural holistic medicines, anyone who attempted to do any divination, anyone who believed in superstitions. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't just women. And... Know how we said it was basically from the 14th to the to, from the late 14th century to the 18th century. Mm-hmm. What I find really interesting is it also was more of a grab for power because at this time mm-hmm. we have the Reformation, so we have the the, the separation from the Protestants and and the, and the Catholics, yeah. and they're fighting for power. So if they can invoke fear, oh, we can protect you from witches. We can protect you from evil we're associating witches now with the devil then you want to be with us because we can protect you Mm -hmm. uh so if we look historically i was actually watching an episode on the history channel they talk about witchcraft and how people used it for gains of power Mm -hmm. if you look at the netherlands uh germany england france anywhere where protestants were being were gaining more power were being more influential Mm -hmm you would see a, a peak, like a spike in witch hunts. Yeah. And that was basically about 70% of your no, of witch hunts would be done by the Protestants in those areas. And then for about 40% would be the Catholics. And that would be those the main predominantly Catholic countries like Spain, Portugal, Ireland, anywhere where Catholics are more prom- predominant more dominant Mm -hmm. then you would see spikes for witch hunts and persecutions in those countries does that make sense yeah absolutely divide for power Mm -hmm. another thing i find really interesting is not just was witch hunts happening during the 14th to the 18th century it was also happening in the 19th century or at least especially in like latin america because latin america has a lot of superstitions and we truly 100% believe in that there is black magic out there we know it exists yeah um I don't know if you want to talk about this Tamisa but our great-grandmother no 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 our great-great-grandmother mm-hmm. who lived during the 1800s 19th century in Mexico on a ranch she was a healer mm-hmm. so she knew about herbs she knew about how to you know cure people so she was actually accused of witchcraft. Granted, white magic is what she was accused of, from what I understand. Mm-hmm. But she wasn't a witch. She was just a healer. But then again, you had to know about 
how to heal people, especially if you live on a ranch in the middle of nowhere and no one else is around and there's no doctors at the time. So yeah, you kind of had to do what you needed yeah, to do. Yeah, to survive. Absolutely, no, 100%. And I think that's the thing that we have to remember is why a lot of these people that were healers got accused of being witch, uh, witches because they are... They, had they have knowledge. knowledge that other people couldn't quite understand because, you know, there wasn't as much education um, and people tend to fear what they don't understand. Like, that's a very human reaction. And that's mm-hmm. been around for millennia. You know, like, that's just part of how humans are. Yes. Yes. Now we're going to move into what does Catholicism say about witchcraft and magic? Mm-hmm. From the Catholic point of view, even since the beginning of the early church, magic and witchcraft has always been frowned upon. The very early church just didn't really do anything about it. They kind of like put no a cloth in front of it, didn't really do anything with it until, of course, the later century, like I mentioned. Mm-hmm. But now, again, it's still frowned upon. It's still viewed as something evil because it's tied in with heresy. It's still tied in with if you are trying to obtain knowledge and power, Mm -hmm. you are no longer putting faith in God and you're putting faith into occult forces. Yeah. And I think also back then, if we think about the old Testament, it it's also closely tied to like believing in like idols and um, other gods. Like I always think of um, that scene in the Prince of Egypt when Moses is confronting Mm -hmm. um, the Pharaohs is magicians like, that's what I always yeah. think of. Yeah, that's that's a good way to think of it. I'm also thinking of during, uh, you know, traditional belief of witchcraft and magic in, in the church would be something like witches and people who practice satanic worship, which is another whole different topics, yeah. uh, Satanism and Luciferianism, I can't say the word, which can lead to black masses and uh, the witch's Sabbath. Mm-hmm. Uh, different uh, infernal rites things that basically mock the holy trinity and the church yeah it's tied into with witchcraft and black magic and it's very very much frowned upon no i think by most of christianity not just catholics yeah so i was actually online and in my research i was reading an article from the catholic news agency and there's a there's a quote from a Catholic theologian, Dr. Anthony Lyles, I think is how you say his name. Mm-hmm. He t- said to CNA, the Catholic news agency, turning to the occult, turning to magic, turning to all kinds of practices that are beneath our dignity, is what he mm-hmm. says, is something that we will see people more and more inclined to do as they attempt to fill that vacuum, a vacuum that only God can fill in a satisfactory way and that vacuum basically is going to be that thirst for knowledge that thirst for power that we have stuff in our control and that's what makes magic and witchcraft very seductive and attractive to a lot of people Mm -hmm. because you are gaining that control or at least you think you're gaining that control and that is tempting in this day and age when there's so much at our, at our disposal, but there's so much greed right now in this world. Yeah. And I think a lot of people have turned away and forgotten God. Yeah. And I think that's the thing is, is temptation, the temptation of having power and having, you know, whether that power be in the form of 
knowledge, like knowing what will happen in the future or the power to have influence on something that we really just don't have influence on. Um, like, mm-hmm. like I said before, like that's always been tempting. And I think it's because it plays on a lot of emotions. Like if you are envious, yeah. if you are scared because maybe you don't have um, enough resources, like fears last for like years. And that's why, I mean, you see it back in like in the past, but obviously still now, like people are still scared of not having enough money or not having enough status. It's like you said, it's greed. And not just superficial things too, mm-hmm. but also knowledge, yeah. like power over someone else. Like I can lord this over you because I know what's going to happen in your future. Mm-hmm. And the catechism of the Catholic Church, again, teaches us that that is bad because in paragraph 2115, mm-hmm. it says, God may choose to reveal future events to human beings through prophets or saints. Yeah. But a right Christian attitude is putting oneself confidently into the hands of providence for whatever concerns the future and giving up all unhealthy curiosity about yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Because when you obsess over that curiosity and, like, you need to know. You're going to do whatever you have to to get that knowledge. You'll do whatever you need to, like, disregard everything you've been told, what you know is correct, and it takes you away from God. Yes, I completely agree with that. Mm-hmm. So... Does magic exist? I know we've already said, at least I've already said, 100% it does. Mm -hmm. I think so too. Because, especially because we're Mexican, and I know this is going to really tie in with how Latin America feels about magic, that it really does exist. Where we're from in in Mexico, Mm -hmm. a town over, they are very, very well known. For black magic yeah so if you were to upset someone from that town or if you were to go to someone in that town and ask for you know something to be done people have been cursed people have had very very bad things happen to them mm-hmm. because they get involved in black magic yeah i i this is going to be more hearsay it's not so much like research and factual this is more of something I've been told before, and I know I've seen it. I just can't find it anymore. Yeah. That there is a consequence to doing black magic. Oh, yeah. I think the rule is, like, anything you put out. Like, if I had, um, if I were practicing back black magic, and I had the intention to harm somebody, like, I wanted them to get ill, um, that I would have to be prepared for whatever I was trying to inflict onto somebody else, that that could get inflicted three times worse onto myself. I think that's like the, the rule. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There's that. And then the other thing is when you practice black magic, when you, when you're involved in it, it will also affect your family seven generations down. Mm-hmm that they will also be affected by it. So anything negative that you do, anything that you have done, it will happen for seven generations until it's cleared out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Scary stuff. Scary stuff. It's, it it was a short topic, I know, but it's also very controversial. Yeah, for sure. Because, because 100% it's real. um, But at the same time, like there is a history of people like misusing that, fear like how you said earlier to just gain power so it's it's so it's such like gray area in terms of like i guess not gray area it's like you said just very touchy 
um, on like how to approach it. But I think you did a great job, Andrea, of covering this information um, and explaining kind of where, you know, the Catholic Church stands on it and as well as information on just like why you shouldn't do black magic. Yeah, magic, again, tied in with divination, tied in with just getting into occult forces. Just stay away from Mm -hmm. it. Especially in this day and age, it's really tempting. It's not worth it. Yeah. Thank you so much, Andrea. I, I appreciate you sharing that topic. And you know what? Like always, thanks for all of our listeners to, to for tuning in and, um, you know, listening to our stories. And we hope you guys enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to our ranting. <laughs> yeah. If you like what you hear, uh, consider leaving us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Additionally, if you have any stories that you'd like to share with us or if you just want to reach out, you can always contact us at hearingisbelievingpodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, and also, you know, feel free to find us on social media. Um, Send us a message. You can find us at HIB Podcast on Facebook and Twitter. All right, everyone. We'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. Bye. Bye.